The issue is that where states have the ability to call things a necessity and provide an exemption to make them more affordable, they've somehow left tampons and pads off the table. Cowboy boots in Texas, tax exempt. Barbecued sunflower seeds in Illinois. Gun club memberships in Wisconsin. Mardi Gras beads in Louisiana are tax exempt. The list kind of goes on and on. Hey boy, I see you looking at me. Welcome back to another episode of Between the Bills, a reproductive justice podcast from Pulp Magazine. I'm Emily Rose Thorne, a journalist living in middle Georgia, and I'm bringing you the story of reproductive rights in the southeastern United States through investigative reporting, narrative work, and audio storytelling. Today, we're talking about something I've been planning to speak on since we launched Between the Bills, menstrual equity and period poverty. This refers to a lack of access to sanitary products and safe hygienic spaces in which to use them, and the right to manage menstruation without shame or stigma. If period poverty refers to a lack of access to products, spaces to use them, and dignity in using them, period equity, or menstrual equity, is basically the process of restoring those rights. According to the woman who coined the term, Jennifer Weiss Wolf, it's the ability to manage menstruation in the context of full democratic and civic participation, because the ability to access these items affects a person's ability to work and study, to be healthy, and to participate in daily life with basic dignity. The primary issues that contribute to period poverty are affordability and access. Period products are expensive, and they're counted as taxable goods, unlike male sexual health products like Viagra. But menstruators will spend about 2,000 days of their lives on average bleeding and in need of these products. In addition, American women are 38% more likely to live in poverty than men. That's 25 million American women below the poverty line. In Georgia, where I live, women make up two-thirds of minimum wage jobs, but people cannot buy tampons and pads with public benefits like food stamps, and they are not covered by health insurance or Medicaid. Most public bathrooms don't have tampon dispensers, at least in my experience in the South, and those that do cost money. Basically, legal and economic decisions work against those who are already most likely to be impoverished, women and gender-expansive folks. Speaking of gender-expansive people, we know that women are not the only people who menstruate, and trans and gender nonconforming folks frequently get left out of conversations about reproductive health, like periods. In this episode, I'll be saying menstruators and people with periods as much as I can, but some of the data and information I'm referencing is split on the male-female gender binary. So in those cases, I'll say women to reference the data. Now let's get into it. In this episode, we'll meet Claire Cox and Adele Stewart from Georgia Stomp, which stands for Stop Tax on Menstrual Products. It's a coalition of 17 organizations statewide working to change legislation that works against menstruators, from eliminating the sales tax on menstrual items to including period products on the list of items provided by Georgia Emergency Management Agency following natural disasters. Here's Claire. You know, men go into the bathroom and there's toilet paper, paper towels, soap, water, everything they need in the bathroom. Why haven't we long ago questioned why everything we need isn't in the bathroom? Claire is the president and co-founder of Georgia Women and Those Who Stand With Us, an advocacy group based here in Macon. Georgia Women is part of the Georgia Stomp Coalition. Outside of Stomp, she's organized local protests against the Trump administration since Trump, Pence, and Attorney General Jeff Sessions all visited Macon in 2018, as well as immigration and customs enforcement and more. 
Adele Stewart is a co-founder and co-lead of Georgia Stomp as well, and an active member of the Junior League of Atlanta. She also works with Planned Parenthood Southeast as a council member of Atlanta Young Leaders, and is involved in multiple other sustainability, advocacy, and community development roles. It was something that appealed to me personally because it was something that affected women during the majority of their lives, for 40 years of their lives, that, as we learned more about it, involved so many different facets of society and policy. Advocates like Claire and Adele are working to ensure that the most vulnerable of menstruators can get their hands on these products. Incarcerated people, homeless people, young people attending school, and people recovering from crisis situations, such as natural disasters or domestic violence, are particularly at risk of not being able to even find period products, costs aside. So why is it so damn hard to make it easier for more than 50% of the population to get the medical products they need every month? Two reasons. Cultural ideas that menstruation is dirty, and a lack of representation in our governments. Think about it. We use coded language to talk about our periods all the time. We've got Shark Week, My Time of the Month, Aunt Flo, Girl Flu, Carrie at the Prom, literally anything besides period, menstruation, or I'm bleeding out of my vagina and it hurts and everything feels hard right now. These euphemisms reinforce that the body is something to keep hushed, hidden, and punished for doing exactly what it was meant to do. Here's Adele on how that notion turns into action. Well, I think we have such a long legacy of stigmatizing periods and menstruation that really has kept it out of focus in a lot of ways. And I think that that conversation just hasn't been accessible to a lot of people because we just haven't talked about periods publicly, either in the policy space or social spaces. It just wasn't something that was discussed in polite company, if you will. The stigma and a lack of representation is why menstruation or menstrual products have been excluded from so many of these spaces. In society, it's more than fine to mock menstruation and treat it as a secret. This reinforces the notion that periods are dirty and taboo, something that only women experience and something that women must hide from men because they can't handle it. And those attitudes carry into our government. Listen to a clip from this 1953 video called A Guide to Menstruate with Style. It's supposed to be an educational film for girls getting their periods in junior high, but the teacher, Miss Jensen, dispenses some pretty terrible advice. So you see, menstruation is just the natural, normal process leading up to being a mother. But you should be more careful than ever about personal cleanliness and change your underwear more often and be sure and use a deodorant. And pay more attention to your hair and your nails and plan to wear your prettiest dress. Later, Miss Jensen goes home with her daughter, who's having her period for the first time. Asked why periods happen every month, she says, Oh, it's just part of being a woman, I guess. Then, when her daughter gets a phone call from a friend asking her if she'd like to go swimming, Miss Jensen tells her that swimming during the first few days of her period will give her a cold, which is definitely not true. Her daughter goes back to the phone and says this. Peggy, of course I can't go swimming. You know I've got the curse. As you can hear, the idea is that your period is something inherently negative, something that makes you dirty, unattractive, and unable to participate in the joys of your life. And although Miss Jensen repeatedly discusses how normal periods are and gives some pretty good advice about how each person's flow is different, who is going to be sympathetic to people who already belong to marginalized gender identities when they're framing menstruation as something fundamentally unclean rather than a simple facet of human physiology? 
Assigning periods this unclean association is intentional, so that those in power do not feel compelled to create an equitable world for menstruators, which leads us to the issues of representation. The reason most states impose a sales tax and resist attempts to eliminate it is because most state governments are vastly majority male. Each state decides if they want a sales tax, what the rate of that sales tax will be, and what items are exempted from it, usually food and prescription medications, which are considered necessities. The tampon tax exists because menstrual hygiene products are classified as items not qualifying as, quote, treatment or prevention of illness or disease in human beings. Therefore, menstruation, a natural biological event that does not signify poor health but is unavoidable, is not tax-exempt. Multiple states literally classify period products as, quote, retail luxury items. Georgia alone makes $9.9 million per year off of people with periods. So, since the legislators and politicians deciding what counts as a necessity have so long been mostly cisgender men, tampons and pads have not been considered necessities. But when you think about the things that they do consider necessities in some of these states, it really shows you how they think about menstruators. Remember what we said earlier about how everything from gun club memberships to barbecue sunflower seeds are tax-exempt, but not tampons? In addition, candy and soda in Georgia are tax-exempt, and tickets to the Super Bowl are tax-exempt nationwide. But not period products. Claire and Adele said that Georgia Stomp came together in 2017 with the goal of repealing Georgia's sales tax on menstrual products. It's a bipartisan effort based on the argument that the tax is discriminatory due to the Equal Protections Clause of the Constitution. There are supporters on both sides, but Adele said that even though it seems like a common-sense move to eliminate the tax, the coalition faces not only direct opposition, but also the challenge of navigating a complex political system. Once you started looking at what menstrual products really are, which is just a medical device that women have to use, menstruators have to use, they have no choice about then you start to think, well, if there were equivalencies to this, there are none that just men use. There, there are just other medical devices, and they're exempt. So why aren't these exempt? What makes these different? They're just as essential to participate fully in school, work, and life. But Claire said that a lack of research into period poverty has created a lack of data that they can use to appeal to the legislators. Most of what they have is based on anecdotes from menstruators in Georgia. That's why Georgia Stomp helped to get a House resolution before the state legislature to fund a state study on the needs of students in school. But even with that data, transforming activism into action is a long and difficult process. Yeah, I think as we began to work on the elimination of sales tax, that initially was seemed like such an obvious and, and, and maybe even naively we thought relatively easy issue to address because we initially had strong bipartisan leadership. But the more we learned about the issues surrounding access issues for women and um, the existence of period poverty and its effect on both young girls and, and others, we move towards realizing there's a lot more in this this arena to to address you you go into it thinking oh eliminate the sales tax that seems completely obvious and the first two um representatives you talk to are republican and a democrat yeah that should happen you're like okay we're going to go up there and get it done and then you hit the reality of how things work in the legislature and what committees it has to go through and how many people that you know you have to get to listen to you to talk and then they come up with you know reasons that, that, that it shouldn't be eliminated. And it, it's just, it can be a little messy. Uh, it, it's not a straight line. And sometimes trying to explain that to people when uh, you, you're working on something that 
if you just look at it from a maybe logical point of view, it seems so obvious, and why can't we just take care of But politics is messy. Claire said that the initial work surrounding the sales tax uncovered that this was just one of many issues surrounding menstrual equity. Georgia Stomp now operates on four pillars, elimination of the sales tax, and then other three that relate to access issues. Access for students in school, access for women in state prisons, and access following natural disasters. We're going to talk about the rest of the three pillars, and then we'll circle back and talk solutions. The folks most affected by period poverty are the ones living in the most extreme situations of poverty, or who lack the agency in their lives to obtain the products they need when they need, primarily the homeless, the incarcerated, and students at school, especially students from low-income families. Nicole Johnson is a formerly homeless mother. She spoke to CBS News about her experiences with period poverty in a documentary earlier this year. I went into a shelter in 2005. Um, it's actually it's a heartbreaking situation. If you have to pick and choose, do I buy food for my child or do I get my sanitary needs, that's kind of hard. And no one should have to experience that. It's demeaning. It makes you feel very sad. It's depressing. If you can't even put a loaf of bread on the table, how do you expect for a person to buy a box of tampons that may be $5 and change? Most mothers, they will put that food on that table. The average mother will put that food on the table for their children with the last five in their pocket, and she will find other ways to get the other necessities that she needs. When homeless people can't purchase period products and they aren't available for free in public bathrooms, they have to rely on other demeaning and unhygienic methods of controlling the blood. Some folks use their socks or paper towels as pads, and shelter coordinators have reported toilet paper being stolen, presumably for women to fashion into makeshift tampons. While most homeless shelters try to provide period products, they're usually one of the last things that people consider when they make donations. That's also true with emergency services organizations such as FEMA, who provide aid and relief in the wake of natural disasters. Many shelters and aid organizations have to ration them and can only provide about two products per person per cycle when most menstruators use about 20 per cycle. Alicia Horton is the executive director of Thrive DC, a nonprofit organization helping to reduce homelessness, unemployment, housing instability, and food insecurity in Washington, DC. In the same CBS documentary, Horton explained what it's like for the women who come to her shelter for assistance. Just last week, we had a woman come in, and she was in tears, and she was wrapped in a blanket from the waist down. And she said, I've came on my period, and I've just soiled myself. And, and she was crying. She was embarrassed. Many times, um, what you have on is what you own. And she'd already, you know, kind of made this skirt <laughs> with this, uh, you know, old, um, it's the blankets they hand out to the homeless. So it's a rough kind of uncomfortable blanket that she was using as a, a bottom. Mm -hmm. And um, and I'm sure if she had not been able to come to us, she would have probably had to go to the bathroom and, and create something to, to staunch her flow until she could get the supplies she needed. Using inadequate methods of stopping the flow or free bleeding into underwear that you can't change comes with health risks. The inability to clean yourself daily, especially during menstruation, is associated with reproductive infections like urinary tract infections, yeast infections, and vulvar contact dermatitis. 
Homelessness is a growing problem here in Georgia, but statistics are hard to track due to different definitions of homelessness. For example, families sleeping in cars or on friends' couches aren't federally considered homeless, but they meet most homeless shelters' definition of folks who need help, so most agencies undercount the true homeless population. The most accurate count I can find is from January 2018, when there are about 9,500 people experiencing homelessness in Georgia, according to the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. The agency also reported that 38,474 public school students experienced homelessness in some form at one point during the 2016 to 2017 school year. About 40% of homeless youth in Atlanta are queer, even though LGBTQ kids make up just 7% of the child population. In Macon alone, a single center providing hygienic services and other assistance to the homeless reported 22,863 visits in one year. So clearly, there's a huge need here for addressing period poverty and the homeless population. The second pillar of Georgia Stomp's work is ensuring that public schools provide free period products to their students. Nearly one in five American girls have either left school early or missed school entirely because they didn't have access to period products often due to poverty at home. Right here in Macon, more than eight girls per day in local high schools approach their school nurses for menstrual products. According to some of those nurses, the students aren't prepared for their periods, either due to a lack of knowledge on how to track them and when they'll come, due to not having enough money to afford the products, or both. Macon's concentrated poverty rate is the third highest in the nation. So what do you do when your period starts and you don't have the supplies you need? Students in school have two choices to go home and miss out on the rest of the school day, or to try and improvise. Just like homeless people have to resort to inadequate means of controlling their flow, students at school will reuse pads or leave tampons in longer than they should. The main concern with reusing period products specifically is that the absorbency will wear off and cause leaks, leading to the exact same issue of bloody pants and chairs that you experience without wearing anything at all. And according to Adele, a lack of preparedness for periods, especially someone's first ever period, is correlated with poor reproductive health over time. From the very limited data that we do have, we know that um, when looking at the experiences of low-income girls in the United States with puberty and, and specifically menarche or their, or their first, in, first experiences with menstruation, if they're ill-prepared for it, that can lead to, it's associated with negative sexual and reproductive health outcomes. And that's something that I think a lot of people are concerned about in Georgia. And so this may be just one simple piece to try and um, ensure that our girls in schools are healthy and educated and um, well-prepared for the life experiences that they'll encounter. Folks who reuse period products can also end up with unusual discharge, pain, and spotting if using a tampon for multiple days. Tampons left in too long can allow for a growth in bacteria of the harmful variety. If that bacteria is of the staph variety and is allowed to grow too long, there's a risk of toxic shock syndrome, which causes a severe drop in blood pressure and multiple organ failure that can lead to death. Although just one out of 100,000 people get TSS, it's still a risk that no one should be forced to take because the people in charge just don't care enough to stock schools with period products. Not to mention the simple fact that nobody should be forced to rewear and rewear their period products just because they don't have access to fresh ones on a regular basis.
speaking of regular, it's not just low-income students who are disadvantaged by lack of period products. Around 14% of women have irregular, painful, or heavy periods, and most teens have irregular periods during their first few years. So even if it's a student who's not experiencing poverty, a lack of access to these products in school can cost her hours or days of her federally required education. Here in Macon, an organization called Macon Periods Easier formed in February 2019 to collect period products for donation in schools and homeless shelters after hearing from a high school nurse about the shortage. Macon Periods Easier told local media that nearly 37% of children here live in poverty, and the concentrated poverty rate is the third highest in the nation. So the issue is particularly prominent in our area. After less than a year, the group collected and donated about 23,000 products to students and homeless people. And while that's a beautiful thing that they're doing, we shouldn't have that many people relying on donations in order to access what they need. We should have free and affordable products available to all. Poverty alone is not the only barrier to accessing period products. Women in prison, regardless of income, although the vast majority of incarcerated women live below the poverty line at 72%, have a very limited access to period products. While we know that women are not the only people who menstruate, prison designations and statistics adhere to the gender binary, so there's very little data about period access for prisoners who do not identify as women. More men are incarcerated than women in the United States, but women still fall victim to America's system of mass incarceration. In 2019, 231,000 women were held in prisons, but it's important to remember that vastly more women involved in the criminal justice system are held in jails than in state prisons, where access issues are actually considerably worse. In Georgia, the number of women serving time in state prisons grew by 25% in the last 15 years. Bibb County, where Macon is located in neighboring Houston County, have the highest female jail populations in the last 15 years. In Bibb, the number of women being detained rose by 4% between 2011 and 2016. Yet, Georgia's Department of Corrections did not plan for periods. State facilities did not allow women easy access to period products until earlier this year, and county jails still have not done so. Most states have taken no action on this at all, but more on that later. Without easy access, women have to ask correctional officers to give them the products they need. Here's Claire on that can be a, a very um, um, difficult or, or embarrassing um, situation to ask the male guard that's coming through for what they need and be, to be questioned about why you need more, you know, because all of us don't have um, menstrual cycles that are the same heaviness or the same length or whatever. Um, so, so that's what was, and, and it's still happening at many county jails. Obviously, being at the mercy of law enforcement to get what you need, especially for something so gendered and so stigmatized, creates a massive imbalance of power. There are reports of women having to bargain with correctional officers to get the sanitary products they need and having to answer foolish questions from guards who don't know how women's bodies work, like, how long have you been bleeding? Didn't I give you a pad yesterday? How long is this one going to last? Many states also put a cap on how many products women are allowed per month, and women have to appeal to male guards and all-male prison boards to get more than that. They also barter or trade with other women, or if they're able, spend money at commissary. But like we said before, many people who are incarcerated are survivors of violence and poverty, and they don't have access to that kind of funding. Menstrual equity in prisons refers to more than just access to period products, but that's the most common problem. Other issues include a lack of access to proper shower facilities, or not being able to shower as much as you'd like when you're literally bleeding onto your legs, and a lack of help for more severe symptoms, which are rarely treated as serious or evaluated for underlying medical conditions like endometriosis or polycystic ovarian syndrome. 
Women and girls being held in ICE facilities have it even worse. Migrant girls being held by ICE under the Trump administration are being given only very limited access to sanitary pads and tampons. According to a lawsuit filed this year by 19 states, one young woman said that menstruating kids were permitted only one tampon or pad per day. After that, at least one girl, quote, had no choice but to continue to wear her soiled underwear and clothes. Although the guards allegedly knew that they had their periods, they were not offered showers or a change of clothes, even when girls started visibly bleeding through their pants. Now it's time to talk progress and solutions. Although there is still a ton of discriminatory access problems in draconian legislation, we are beginning to see a shift. Over 24 states have moved towards eliminating the sales tax on period products, and five states have been successful in that. That's Connecticut, Florida, Illinois, Nevada, and New York. In New York in 2017, State Representative Grace Meng introduced a House resolution called the Menstrual Equity for All Act. It would provide a refundable tax credit to low-income folks who need period products and allow grant funds from the Emergency Food and Shelter Grant Program, which are typically utilized for homeless assistance providers for essential goods, to be used for these products. It would also require each state to provide them to federal prisoners and require employers with 100 or more employees to provide them at work free of charge. Here at home in Georgia earlier this December, a group of students at Milton High School in Fulton County, where Atlanta is, addressed the county school board to introduce a resolution to increase menstrual product provisions in current school funding plans. They petitioned for mandatory funding allocated to period products, including menstrual hygiene in sex ed courses, and providing period products yearly in schools. All of the students involved are teen girls of color, who are most affected by poverty and period poverty, both locally and globally. Best of all, right here in Macon, advocates have affected direct positive change in the state legislature. Claire said that thanks to Georgia Stomp, the state's 2020 budget includes $1.5 million to address period poverty. One million of that is going to the Department of Education and 500000 to county health departments. That only gives each school about $200 per year to buy menstrual products, which is definitely not enough, but it will be a start. Here's Claire. We're very fortunate that money got put in the school budget this year, um, and as that money has just been, it was a million dollars put in the State Department of Education budget for the purchase purpose of purchasing feminine hygiene products in schools. That money has actually just been distributed to schools about a month ago, three or four weeks ago, and we're getting already feedback from school nurses and districts and are trying to collect data to, to find out how quickly that money is, is needed and is distributed based on conversations with school nurses. It's going to go quickly because it is needed and it's, it's, a, it's a good beginning, but it's not near enough to purchase the products that are needed for schools. In addition, as of August 1st, 2017, women in federal prisons must now be granted access to free tampons, pads, and liners. However, many state and local jails still have not passed similar laws, which is still a huge issue because, like I said, most women are sent to state and local prisons. And neither this nor any other current policy on menstrual products mention transgender or gender non-binary prisoners at all. But Claire said that Georgia Stomp has directly influenced faster change here at home, which is a pretty strong start. Back in with the end of 2018, uh, with the um, First Step Act on the federal level, um, federal Bureau of Prison Facilities throughout the country um, have to provide women access to period products on an as-needed basis. 
uh, when um, other um, advocates and us, we were both approaching, we don't take full credit for this by any means, but we're approaching um, Commissioner Tim Ward and the, and the Georgia Department of Corrections. Um, he made the administrative decision to adopt that same policy for our State Department of Corrections facilities um, and cabinets have been built in the dorm rooms and we've actually um, had the fortunate um, occurrence of being able to hear from one of the women at one of the um, State Department of Corrections building that was responsible for building the cabinets and getting some feedback from them about just what a difference it is that they can go to the cabinet and get what they need now and not have to ask for it. A lot of this goes back to my comprehensive sex ed episode. When people don't understand their bodies, or worse, fear them, it can have profound consequences. Those consequences involve not just social stigma, but also health problems. If people understood what periods are and why we need these products, legislation about them would not be so taboo. But because sex is taboo, anything considered reproductive in nature is something we should not discuss in polite company, especially when it primarily affects women and non-binary folks. The solution? First of all, we need more women and menstruating folks in policy-making roles, because they're more sensitive to the issue. But that's not really going to address the problem of stigma surrounding periods and reproduction, so we have to start on a much more basic level than that. We need mandatory, comprehensive sex education that includes menstruation, required for everyone whether they menstruate or not. Education is the first step to destigmatization and consciousness raising that would remove cultural and social barriers to even talking about periods. In her book, Periods Gone Public, attorney Jennifer Weiss-Wolf, who created the term menstrual equity, sums it up perfectly. Here's her quote. When menstruation is stripped of its reproductive purpose and framed solely as a basic bodily function, right up there with nosebleeds, legislators from both sides of the aisle are more willing to engage. And that's it for episode four of Between the Bills. Next time, we're going to talk about the criminalization of HIV and AIDS in the South. Big thank you, as always, to Oakland-based synth band Gamus for sharing their music for the podcast. You can check them out on Spotify by searching G-A-Y-M-O-U-S. And if you're new to Between the Bills, you can follow the show on SoundCloud, Spotify, or online at Pulp Magazine on Medium. You'll find it at medium.com slash pulpmag. While you're there, you can get a taste of our other content, like a weekly playlist, personal essays about sex, sexuality, and reproductive justice, and plenty of other stuff for and of the body. If you love what you see, you can give us a follow on Medium, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It's worth the squeeze.